Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Asher Agency, a full-service marketing agency with offices in Indiana, West Virginia, and Washington, D.C. For nearly 50 years, Asher has helped our clients tell their stories, reach customers and prospects, and stand out from the crowd. To learn more about how we can help your company, visit asheragency.com or contact us at hello at asheragency.com. My guest is Krista Stockman. Krista, how are you doing? Great. How are you today? I am great. Thank you so much for doing this at a very busy time, but I suppose it's always a very busy time. You never <laughs> really get is. a break. People think schools have summer off, but you really don't have summer off. No, it's just a different season for us. There's <laughs> always something to do. In the summer, we're getting ready to go back to school. So yeah. wrapping up one year and getting ready for the next. Yeah. Well, well, let's go back to the beginning of your career path. That's where I always like to start. And I'd like to hear a little bit about what you were thinking about career-wise and where that took you. Um, you know, you and I, I think we've known each other for a long time back prior to, to when you worked with Fort Wayne Community Schools, and I, I first knew you as a journalist. So was your initial dream to follow that path, or was there something else entirely that you were thinking of doing? Well, when I was in kindergarten, I wanted to be an artist. Okay. But then I worked with a sixth-grade student to write a book about myself, and I was terrible at drawing, so I decided I needed to pick a different career path. Yeah, yeah. Um, so by middle school, I was on the—I took a yearbook class. Okay. We got the yearbook done early, and there were—we had time to do some issues of a newspaper, and that just really intrigued me. It just sparked something in me. I, I had always been a good writer, mm-hmm. um, but that style of, you know, taking information— and sharing it, putting it in a format that made sense to other people um, was just, it, it it struck a chord with me. And and remind me, if, if you don't mind, where in the world were you at that time? Because you didn't, did you grow up, you didn't grow up in this part no, of the world, correct? No, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, uh-huh, Yeah, um, which isn't that so much different sure. than Fort Wayne. It's a, you know, blue-collar industrial mm-hmm. town, smaller than Fort Wayne, but... What I've learned is Fort Wayne feels so small yeah. that Rockford actually felt bigger to me mm. growing up. Interesting. Um, Fort Wayne just has so many connections and yeah. everybody knows everybody. So Absolutely, everybody knows everyone. <laughs> so you decide after some yearbook work that journalism is a path you might want to take. So what do you do about that um, in terms of where you went to college and what you pursued early on in your career? Yeah, I actually based my high school choice on journalism. Oh, uh, my wow. parents gave me the choice between public school and private school. Yeah. But the private school, I wouldn't have been able to pursue journalism until my junior year. Okay. And so I decided to go to the public school, which oh, was wow. a great choice for me. Yeah. And then, um, again, I thought I, I thought I might go to Iowa State University, mm-hmm. which has a great journalism program. Mm-hmm. But I went and visited Marquette University in Milwaukee mm-hmm. and, again, just fell in love and decided that's where I wanted to be. And so I graduated as a journalism major. There are not that many people I know that decide what they want to do when yeah. they're 14 and yeah. actually graduate yeah. with that degree. But it, I really stuck with it. I And then from there, I had, let's see here, probably four or five different newspapers that I worked at yeah. um, over 10 years. The last one was the Journal Gazette. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was actually the jobs that brought my husband and I to Fort Wayne. We both worked at the Journal Gazette. Okay. Is that where you met? 
No, we met in Freeport, Illinois. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So Fort Wayne was a different place back when you started working at the <laughs> Journal Gazette, much while it's still, as you mentioned, a small town, much smaller town. And you had no prior association with Fort Wayne prior to coming here for Journal Gazette work? Yeah. yeah. So what were, what types of, of writing were you doing? What was your beat, so to speak, as a journalist? So when I first started, and a lot of people when they're first starting in newspapers, I mean, it's just, you know, city council, yep. county county council, yep. um, the cops beat, yep. maybe some education reporting. Um, but as I grew in my journalistic interests and moved from paper to paper, I really started focusing more on education. Mm-hmm. Um, my minor was actually criminology, mm-hmm. and I thought that that might be the path that I went. But as I learned more about education and started writing about education, I just, there's so much there, and it is so important for people to understand the the education system in their community, in their state. It is heavily funded mm-hmm. by taxpayers, mm-hmm. by state government, by federal government, And so as a journalist, I just really wanted people to understand their school systems and and just all that that brings to a community. Well, and this is a path we we may go down or may decide not to go down. But one thing I think became very apparent during the pandemic was how integral school systems are beyond education, you know, with school lunch programs and with um, the ability of parents to get to work and know their kids are in a safe place during school, before and after school. I think everybody knew that, but it became sort of palpable in 2020 and 2021. Absolutely. And reflects what you're saying, that it really is in a number of ways um, integral to the success of a community for people to have a working life, for kids to get socialization, all those things. So, So you are working on the journalism side of education and... Then what happens that takes you to Fort Wayne Community Schools? Because that's a pretty big switch to go to the other side of the table, so to speak. Yeah, and again, I mean, I I was a journalist to my core. Yeah. Um, I had ink in my veins. I yeah. mean, I, I love newspapers. Um, but then I had two kids, mm-hmm. and journalists' hours are yeah. not great. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of nights. Yep. There's plenty of weekends. Yeah. And with my husband and I both being journalists, mm-hmm. um, when the position came open at Fort Wayne Community Schools, I really, I knew that I really had to think about making the switch, even though I, I had never wanted to switch into PR. Yep. But I also knew that if I ever was going to switch, that it had to be something that I truly believed in mm-hmm. because it is too hard to get up and talk to people and explain things to people if you don't believe what you're talking sure. about. Sure, sure. Sure. So um, the opportunity came up, and I was offered the position, and I made the switch in 2007. Okay. So, you know, it's part of a larger trend where I think at the beginning of my career, there were maybe two PR people for every one journalist, or the number even may have been the reverse, and now it's like there's 80 PR people for every one journalist. So it's part of a, <laughs> we, we, you know, it's it's up to the listener to decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's certainly how things have evolved. What was that work like at the outset of you joining Fort Wayne Community Schools? What what type of work are you involved in? What was the environment like? So it's, it's really hard to even <clears throat> compare what we do today to 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, when I walked into my office in 2007, I had a computer, 
Um, I don't even think I had a laptop then. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. I had uh, I some know, days you wish some, you probably did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I forget what kind of device I had, but yeah, I didn't even have a cell phone. Yeah, social media was not a factor. Mm-hmm. My job was really um, to assist the superintendent in whatever communications she might have. Yep, and to handle the media, mm-hmm. and that was pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. So w- when you started in that role, um, w- what was what was the structure of the team you worked with? Were you, were you leading the team? Were you working under someone else's supervision? Were you working directly with the superintendent? So my title was public information officer. Yep. And I was part of the public affairs department. Mm-hmm. And so we had a director of public affairs. We had um, a secretary who worked with us. Um, so I reported to the director of public affairs, but I also worked closely with the superintendent. Yep. So obviously that has changed, as you mentioned, quite dramatically. So tell, if you don't mind, most people are going to be familiar. Most people listening to this podcast are going to be very familiar with Fort Wayne Community Schools. But if you were describing FWCS to someone who didn't know anything about it, how would you describe the, the, the entity that you're part of? So we are the largest school district in Indiana, the largest traditional public school district. Mm -hmm. We are a diverse urban district, Mm -hmm. and that diversity is something that we celebrate Mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. Um, It is the reason my own kids went through Fort Wayne Community Schools, Mm -hmm. and it, it continues to be the reason year after year why people tell us they choose us. Mm -hmm. Um, We provide a great education. Um, but I think the the bigger piece is that people know when they send their kids to us that they are getting a real-world experience in the classroom in ways that go beyond just the textbooks. Mm-hmm. And, and did you decide to send your kids to FWCS schools before you were working for the district, or was that after you had started working for Fort Wayne Community Schools? Um, it was actually after. Um, so my daughter was— three when I started working with Fort Wayne Community Schools, and we had put her in the lottery for Bunch, Mm -hmm. and she didn't get in as a P3. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we really had to decide, we live right by St. Jude, we go to St. Jude, Mm -hmm. we really had to decide, do we want public school or private school? Yeah. I had a choice either way. And as we really looked around, we decided, we need our kids in the the diversity of mm-hmm. Fort Wayne Community Schools. Yep. And so um, so we did eventually, she got into Bunch, my son went to Bunch and followed uh, that path all the way. My, my daughter graduated last year, my son's graduating this year. And um, the experiences that they have had are, it's just unbelievable. The, the students that they have come in contact with from, you know, their cultural differences, socioeconomic differences, um, even, you know, intellectual ability differences. It's just, it, it really runs the gamut. And um, and that's just their world. That is just the world they are growing up in. Well, it prepares you better for the rest of your life because that's yeah. what, you know, most work environments are like and that's what most exactly. social environments are like. So, Krista, there's some people who, you know, while, while I think a lot of people know the 
realities for, for school systems today. There's some folks who might say, well, why does the school system need a director of communication and marketing? Don't students just go to the school district where they live? And you've alluded to, you know, the lottery and all those things. So tell us a little bit about what your role involves and, and why you need to market FWCS. Well, the first thing I, I tell people is taxpayers should expect us to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. Again, they put a lot of money into the system, and they deserve to know what is going on with the schools. They deserve to know how the money is being spent. They deserve to know the outcomes and what we're doing to prepare students to become citizens in the future. And so I think that's, for me, that's the, the first thing, is that schools need to be transparent, and so they need communication experts to help them with that transparency. But also, especially in Indiana, and and really this is growing across the country, but Indiana is a leader in school choice and school competition. So when I started, um, let's see here, in 2007, we did have charter schools. Mm-hmm. Um, those were a few years old. Um, we did not yet have vouchers. Mm-hmm. When vouchers came into play, so we were already having some competition sure. with charter schools, but when vouchers came into play, that really changed the landscape. Mm-hmm. And so the state of Indiana told us, we want you to be competitive. We want you to act like a business. We want to treat this like a marketplace. Well, that means you have to have marketing. Mm-hmm. And so we really increased um, just the amount of advertising, um, social media, uh, every different aspect of marketing Um we had to we had to increase that, and yep. so you know we looked at how how do private schools do this mm-hmm. because they've been doing it for forever. Sure. They always had to attract students, and so you know we looked at how they did things, and we adapted some of those strategies, and um, it's it's just our world today. And, and obviously, a lot more work comes with that those realities than when you started working for FWCS. So what does the team look like today, the team you're working with? How is it structured and how does the work get done? So today, I am the director of communication and marketing. I have a communication manager, and he is the one that sort of does my old role. Mm-hmm. He is the uh, spokesperson. He helps out with social media. He helps out with web content. He works closely with the schools to make sure that we're getting their stories and know what's going on so we can share that with mm-hmm. the media and with the community. <clears throat> I have a marketing manager, and she is in charge of our marketing strategies, um, looking at different areas that we should be pursuing and focusing on. She also oversees our student recruitment and retention coordinator. Mm -hmm. And so that person is responsible for just going out into the community and finding ways to recruit students. So working closely with daycare providers, making sure parents have information that they need to register their kids, um, just awareness of our programs, going out to events throughout the summer, um, throughout the school year, um, And then we have a brand specialist, and so she is responsible for basically making sure that our branding is consistent, Mm -hmm. that logos look good, um, that our colors and fonts are being used properly. And then we have a video content specialist, and he, um, he's... He does a lot of our video storytelling Mm -hmm. um, and some of some additional graphic design, so... 
And then we also, we still have our secretary who assists us and keeps us all straight. So who's responsible for social media? Who's, who's doing that work <laughs> on the team? Thank heavens it is not me anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did it for, I don't know, 12 years. It was just me. Yeah. And now uh, my brand specialist takes yeah. care of that. Well, that's a big job for, for anyone, and especially when it comes to something people are as passionate about as their kids' school system. So uh, I'm sure that's that's a big job, and there's a lot of stories you could tell about that. <laughs> yes. But, you know, one of the couple of things I want to talk about that you've navigated, Krista, that, that might be unique— one is moving to the other side of the conversation, being someone who reported on schools and then being the person who was working with journalists reporting on schools. What was that transition like? What's been fulfilling in that? What's been challenging in that? Yeah, I think at first the most challenging thing was just um, learning what to say and how to say it and mm-hmm. when to say it. Yeah, um, There were many times when I would watch myself on TV or read something in the paper and go, that is not how I wanted that to come out. Yeah, yeah. But I knew I said it, mm-hmm. and so it was just really trying to figure out where's that balance. Mm-hmm. And I have to remember now that these aren't my colleagues mm-hmm. anymore the way they used to be, yeah. and so I can't maybe say the things yeah. that I used to say. Yeah, were, were you working with reporters that you knew and had worked alongside? Oh, yeah. Wow, okay, yeah. that's, a, that's a big challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Um But I think the other thing, you know, the real advantage that I had coming into this position was that a lot of times people have a really negative view of reporters Mm -hmm. and they think they're just out for blood or, you know, trying to Mm -hmm. just get headlines. And I know that's not true in the vast majority of cases. They are trying to do their job. They're trying to tell a story. And so since I had that understanding, um, I was just willing to talk with them maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more. A lot of people are fearful of the media yeah. and what happens if I talk to them and yeah. how's this going to make me look. And so I just, I really would try to put people at ease. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could take the interview, you know, I would take the interview. If I needed someone else to talk, then I would just, you know, walk them through it and say, look, this is just a person. Yep. Maybe they have a camera. Maybe they have a pen and paper. Yeah. Just Tell what you know. Well, and that's where the experience of being on the other side of the conversation was probably very helpful and, and took a lot of the fear out of it. I mean, I think the the time that I that I was growing up, you know, the, the media, it was perceived very differently. And it was, these are folks who are out to tell the truth and, you know, who were really revered in, in most communities. And that's for, you know, and for my money, it's, it's, it's sad that it's changed in some respects, but you know, in, in a community the size of Fort Wayne, you don't have as much of that, I think. I think people understand that there's a role for the media, an important role, and that it, it really can be a collaboration on the PR side to make sure the community is informed about things that need to be informed about. One of the things that probably made that, and this is going to be the understatement of the week, <laughs> but one of the things that probably made that tremendously challenging was the pandemic and the reality of trying to communicate at a time when there was a lot of fear and when there was a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty. Uh, this is a question that would probably take you a week to answer, but how did you and your team navigate all that? How did you make it through that and make sure that you were getting accurate and good information out um, to the public while at the same time trying to mitigate risk and some of the challenges you were facing? So actually at that time, so my team is only about a year old. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, it, there were still just three of us. Yep. And... 
um, yeah, it was it was very confusing. Mm-hmm. It was scary for people. Yeah. Um, we didn't have answers. We were being told in some cases what to do. We didn't know, is there going to be another announcement tomorrow? Yeah. Is this going to change again? Um, so eventually what we sort of settled into was, you know, we would give parents updates as we had them. Mm-hmm. Um, that summer, uh, our new superintendent, started. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was also a challenge, yeah, you know, for sure. going through the pandemic. Yeah. And yeah. Dr. Robinson had been in place for how many years? That Seven, she was superintendent for 17 years. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So she was retiring. We're bringing in a new superintendent. And since he was new, it just gave him an opportunity to right away start communicating with parents regularly. So they started hearing his voice, seeing his face. Um, and yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy, but mm-hmm. our families, I think, really trusted us mm-hmm. that we were going to make the best decision with the information we had at the time. Yeah, and um, I think they they just really relied on on us for um, whatever we could provide the kids. I mean, they gave us a lot of grace. We tried to give the kids a lot of grace. Yeah, for sure. And um, just just keep them informed along the way. We really. A lot of school districts had started to have a lot of pushback, especially in the second year of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And our families really, we didn't have so much of that. Yeah. Um, and I think we were very fortunate. Yeah. Well, that's great. And that probably is an indication of, of trust, you know, that um, if, and and it's obviously something that is, is hard won when you're talking about people's kids and their future. So, Kudos for, for that. I'm sure it was very difficult, but sounds like it, it was about as good as you can expect in that situation. Yeah. So, so Krista, with that, hopefully, that part of your career <laughs> behind you, what are some of the things you're working on now? What are some of the big items on your to-do list, things that are priorities for you as you look ahead? Well, as you mentioned, Fort Wayne has changed a lot yep. in you know the past 20 years, mm-hmm. and the education system really has changed as well. And that was one of the things with Fort Wayne Community Schools when I came on board. You know, I had covered schools in a lot of different areas, different parts of the country. And what stood out about Fort Wayne Community Schools is that they were always trying to be better. Mm-hmm. That, you know, people could say whatever they wanted about them, but you could never say that they weren't trying to mm-hmm. be better. Yep. And... Maybe they didn't have the test scores that other districts have, but they were really focused on improving the lives of children. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that attitude has brought us to where we are today and where we're going to continue moving in the future. Um, my own kids went through uh, the New Tech Academy mm-hmm. at Wayne. Yep. And that was a program that came in. Uh, businesses actually challenged us to say, Hey, we've we've seen this model. This brings in real world to kids. Yeah, they get to work on projects. Mm-hmm. This is something we want to see. And so we looked at it and we said, okay, let's try it out. Yeah, um, Amp Lab just opened last yeah. year. My daughter went through that. Um, again, I mean, this is such an innovative program oh, yeah. where kids are learning how to be entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and. Um, how we've been able to meld the the standards that kids need to learn and the just learning about businesses. Many kids are running their own businesses out of yeah. there. Um, and so where we're heading, um, 
We are launching what we're calling Schools of Success. Mm-hmm. Um, some people may have heard about. We've completed our portrait of a graduate. We've been working with uh, Ford Next Generation Learning, which is uh, a philanthropic arm of the Ford Foundation. And what we're looking at is those opportunities that kids have had at New Tech or at Amp Lab. We want to make sure everyone has those opportunities yeah. and that they know when they graduate from high school that they have the skills to be employable, that they have the knowledge to enroll in a, a post-secondary education if that's what they want, or that they're ready to enlist in the military if that's what they want. Or if they're ready to start their own business, that they can go into entrepreneurism. And so people are going to start hearing more about this. We're not trying to pigeonhole kids or put them into a career in ninth grade, but we want to make sure they have those skills so that they can get hired and so that they can be productive citizens. Yeah, and so, and so many of those skills that, that we look at as entrepreneurial skills are really what we used to call the soft skills that you need regardless of where right. you go. And that, you know, most employers, I would say almost all employers, would welcome someone who has that entrepreneurial spirit, who can think like a business owner, who has the ability to work, um, you know, autonomously and, and, and get things done. Um, so kudos to you and, and FWCS for instilling that in kids at a young age because um, it, it's amazing to me in, in what I've seen from, from a distance how much kids are capable of if, if you don't, um, you know, impose limits on them. They really can think in, in very creative ways that compete really well against people who've been in the workforce for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, we have some interns that work in our building that work on um, videography and, and graphic design. And the stuff that these kids come up with, I'm like, wow. <laughs> I mean, I'd hire you today. Yeah, you're, for you're, sure. You're 17. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. Well, and there's such a need to have um, young people communicate in a way um, that's going to reach their peers in a way that, quite honestly, you know, I can't because things are so fragmented today. If you want to reach 19, 20-year-olds, the best creators of content are going to be 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. Right. So, you know, teaching them those skills, those creative skills, and obviously I'm biased because that's the work that I do. But whatever those skills are, there's there's so many great opportunities. Another thing that I think is, is unique about the community we're in, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, is the degree to which your students, after they finish, you know, high school— and while they're in high school, can build great relationships pretty quickly in Fort Wayne because everyone knows everyone. You know, it's uh, there's enough opportunity here. If a student wants to get co- connected to a career path, they can do that pretty pretty easily um, through the staff at FWCS, through their teachers, through community connections. So, you know, really great to be able to take advantage of that and just expose students to what's possible. Give them a sense of what's out there. Yeah, that's really a big part of it is, you know, when a student in second grade goes to the Survive Alive house. Mm -hmm. So they're learning those safety skills, right? Yeah. But also, what if we think about, well, who are these people working here? Mm -hmm. What does a firefighter do? Yeah. And what is the career path to become a firefighter? So not that you're talking about coursework and hours, you know, all that stuff to a, a nine-year-old, yeah. but just starting to lay that foundation so that they can envision themselves 
mm-hmm. as something in the future. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember when I was a kid, I had I had none of that and and desperately needed it. I got a, I got a later start on my career path that I would have liked. But I remember just the idea of going to work was a mystery to me. <laughs> I was like, how do people do that? And what happens when they leave the house? So kudos to you and, and the rest of the, the FWCS team for, for giving kids that opportunity. So, Chris, I'm going to pivot to a, a few questions that kind of reflect some of the things we've discussed. Um, and, and one has to do with your career path and what you've learned along the way. Obviously, you've had a, a variety of experiences as a journalist, and for the past 16 plus years at FWCS, what have you learned along the way about building a successful and fulfilling career? What's the most important advice you might want to pass along when it comes to others who may be pursuing a career in marketing, but really any career? I think one of the, and this has been really important for me over the past year as my team has grown and as I've become the director of this team is to trust others. There are so many great ideas yeah. out there. Yeah. And to be open to suggestions that you hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't ever want to think of myself as the smartest person in the room because yeah. I'm certainly not. At the same time, I do know that I am an expert in certain things. Mm-hmm. And I will share those opinions with you when it is appropriate. Um, but there is a lot that I do not know. And so I am constantly trying to learn and to let others on my team lead when they are the experts in what they're doing. Um, so I think that's part of it. And I think it, you know, 20 years ago, I, I don't think I could have said the same thing. I think some of that comes, you know, just with confidence and, and years of experience and being able to say, no, it's okay that I don't know everything. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's more valuable to know the people who know how to get it done. You know, and, and another thing that's evolved, I, I completely agree that it's it's confidence and it's experience. But, you know, it's also a reflection of how technical a lot of the skills have gotten. You know, I, I joke with our podcast producer, Nick, all the time that I, I couldn't do what he does at all. I just show up and talk. And you really need to find people who complement your skills and, and be okay with that and say, you know, I, I'm never going to know it all. If I stay in my lane and I do a deep dive on what I do well, that's probably going to serve me better than trying to learn everything and compete against all the smart people who already have that incumbent knowledge. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a related question, um, and I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. But, but you know, there's a lot of folks who are thinking about, okay, you know, the world of journalism is changing. Many people who are saying, you know, I'm in it. That's my career. That's what I want to do. And there's others who are thinking about maybe making a pivot. What's your best advice for someone who may be thinking about, you know, I've been doing this and I might want to do something different. How do you successfully make that pivot if you're ready to for a change? Well, like I said, when when I was a journalist, um, I knew that whatever I switched to, I would have to believe in it. And yeah. so if I wasn't going to be writing as a journalist every day, what could I still do that I would have a passion for? Yeah. And... So my husband, he doesn't work for the Journal Gazette anymore either. He writes for um, a national publication where he only writes about Catholic sisters. Mm-hmm. And he loves it. Yeah. And it is, you know, this niche publication. And he has found a different area to pursue a similar yeah. passion, mm-hmm. but, you know, still in a, a little bit different field. He's not um, 
he's not going to city council meetings. Yeah. And so I think— <laughs> And he's probably happily not going to city council <laughs> meetings. No offense to the city council. Uh, I don't know. Though, he he misses writing about sewers and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. <laughs> and there's who some, wouldn't? Yeah. There's something wrong with him. But he's—you know, we, we have to have people like that in the world, for I guess. For sure. For sure. But, yeah, I think it's just, um, you know, it, it, taking that step is— just finding your next passion, really. Mm-hmm. And um, wherever you go, this is what I tell my kids all the time. If you make a decision, you do something, and you go, you know what? That wasn't the right step for me. Mm-hmm. I really don't like this. Yeah. Okay, well, then take a different step. Yeah. That will be an experience you can grow on, and you can learn from, and then you can move on to something different. And, I mean, in in this world today, there you don't have to stay at a place for 50 years. Yeah, for sure. Get some experience, figure out, yeah, I like this. I, I don't think I really expected that I would be in this position for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I thought when I started, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, I had never been at a job more than two or three years yeah. Yeah. to that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great advice. So, Krista, the next question I want to ask you um, has to do with the organization you work for and the work that you do. What's one myth or misconception either about FWCS or about the world of education that you you believe should be cleared up, something you want to disabuse people of, or maybe something that's not well no, well known enough that you want to amplify? Well, I think one of the biggest things for Fort Wayne Community Schools is um, people, there are a lot of people who think maybe we're not as rigorous as other schools mm-hmm. or, or other districts. Um, that our students don't achieve mm-hmm. at a high level, um, that somehow there's chaos in our buildings every day. We have an event called Principal for a Day, yeah. um, which I think you've, you've I, I was, yeah, it was years yeah. and years ago, and it was a great experience. Yeah. Yeah, and when people do that, they come into our buildings, they spend a morning with a principal and see what's going on in our schools. One of the, the most often heard comments at our luncheon is, I can't believe how quiet and respectful the students yeah. were. Yeah. Well, this we're not operating in a movie set. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, kids are quiet and respectful and they're <laughs> there to learn. Yeah. And our test scores may not be what you see in other districts, but our students, we have a different population of students, yep. and our, our growth often exceeds what you see at the state level yeah. because we are really moving those kids forward. And again, that's... For us, that's number one. Our kids are not a test score. Yeah. We want to make sure they're prepared for life. Yeah. And I've yet to take a standardized test in my career. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, mean, I would rather have kids who are oh, articulate, sure. articulate, who can think through a problem, than who can ace a test. Well, and, and one of the things that I'm most impressed with at FWCS is the opportunity for kids to focus in depth on a certain area, whether it's the arts, whether it's music, whether it's the entrepreneurial side. Um, you know, quite honestly, my, my son went to a public school system and, and he didn't get that. He got a, you know, a good education. It was a broad education. But I love the fact, you know, there's, there's um, children of Asher, of our, of our employees here, who have gone on to great things and are prepared for great things because Fort Wayne Community Schools has helped them find a path and then dive deep into that path. And I think that's pretty impressive. Um, and, and I wouldn't know that if I didn't have coworkers who had lived that through their kids. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, and that's really what we want for kids is, again, when they graduate, 
we want them to know that they have a direction. Maybe they can't decide which direction yeah. today because they're passionate about five different things. Yeah. I talked to a student yesterday. Um, she was one of the designers of the new Snyder Panther logo. Mm-hmm. She is an amazing graphic artist. Yeah. She also is really interested in occupational therapy and working with children. Yeah. Two very different careers. Yeah, for sure. And she's not quite sure which direction she wants to go. Yeah. And that's exciting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, you know, when, when I think of myself at that age, she's probably miles ahead of where I was, and I I didn't have any idea. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of the process, right, is working that out. Um, but having that opportunity to be exposed to different career paths and then really dig in deep and be hands-on, I think is, is pretty unique and pretty great. All right, so here's, this is the one that sometimes trips people up, um, but it has to do with the way in which you and your teams work. Is there any tool, call it a hack, call it an app, call it what you want, it doesn't have to be technology, something that you use in your work that you really appreciate that you think would benefit other people who do the type of work you do or maybe any type of work for that matter? Well, um, I'm not a graphic designer by trade, and so um, I cheat and I use Canva yeah. a lot. Yeah. And their new AI graphic yeah. thing, I've just been playing with that because it's it comes up with some really crazy things, most of which I wouldn't use because they look ridiculous, but it's kind of <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um, but I think on the technology side, that is one thing that, because that's not my natural born yeah. skill, that I rely on that. I also recognize that when I want something really unique and different, that's not the tool. Yeah, and so for sure. I have people that can go above and beyond or or we work with an agency like Asher. Well, well I think Canva is is a really great um, great representation of kind of one of the one of the things that I'm looking for when I ask that question because it's it's fills such a unique gap. You know, I I learned PageMaker 6.5 a million <laughs> years ago and stopped uh, I've the world is better because I stopped being a graphic designer. Um, but I, I couldn't jump back in. Like two years later, I was like, I wouldn't know how to use those tools at all. You have to work in them every day. So if you had asked me to design something, short of doing it in in PowerPoint and, and it looking very bad, but Canva kind of fills a gap. And, and it does get a bad reputation sometimes from people who are, you know, really focused on the highest end tools and the highest end product. And I think you make a great point that there's absolutely a need for that. But for the rest of us, <laughs> Canva kind of helps. And in my mind, it can it can really focus those professionals on the things that I can't do, you know, even if I had the right tool. So, so and yeah. It, and it makes me look really impressive when I make social media graphics for my church. Yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, Krista, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just what I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one thing I'd go to bat for, and, and you, you just inspired this thought, um, but help your audiences promote your work by giving them graphics. You know, if you want parents to talk about an event at school, say, here's a graphic, just post that. Here's some copy, yeah. just post that. And Canva makes that possible. You know, I think the the, the rise of Canva is directly parallel to the content beast that social media is. You know, back when I started my career in marketing is, yeah, you needed content, but it was 
high quality and it was infrequent and now it's all the time and it's not all high quality. Sometimes it's just to fill a gap and Canva's kind of grown up alongside that. And one of the things it allows for is to make it easy for people who aren't designers to share stories on social media and make it easy for their audiences to, to be part of that conversation. So, um, you know, that it, it, it's a great little tool that sometimes gets a bad name in our world. And uh, I'm glad that you, you spoke well of it. Not everyone <laughs> does. Yeah. 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 Well, People Krista, are probably turning it off now and not uh, listening to us anymore. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's my fault entirely, as it usually is on these podcasts. Well, Krista, this has been great fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for telling us your story. And thanks to everybody who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next time with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.